You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode... Oh, whatever. 210. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had other stuff to say. You did. Whoa. I'm telling you, man, I'm so it's out rough. of it. We, so, behind the scenes things, we are recording at some ungodly hour of the morning because Alan needed to record early, like... Mortal man, it was not intended to be awake this early, and yet here we are. So I might be a little bit off my game. Uh, subscribe on Spotify, Stitchify, iTunify, uh, wherever you can find your podcasts. Visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find the show notes, examples, discussion, and more. So for most people on the planet, they're probably usually awake and up and moving by this hour. Just, just saying. No, uh, no, so, I beg to differ. So if you're awake, you can send your uh, feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net, and you can follow us on Twitter at codingblocks. Yep, and uh, we got a website too. It has uh, links to other stuff, uh, like I don't know. I really don't. I really don't know. That was, that was sorry. In the sense, <laughs> with that, I'm Joe Zach. I'm just kidding. There's a bunch of bunch of them. Uh, I'm Joe Zach. I'm up too early. Yep, and I'm Alan Underwood. Normal time of day for most people. No, it is not. The stores aren't even open. <laughs> this is Best not. Buy is this not is, open. This is not normal hours. Waffle House is open. What well, they're Walmart's open twenty four seven. That doesn't <laughs> count. <laughs> Plus, people on the other side of the pond are like, "What's a Waffle House?" Oh, they must make the trip. They must make the journey. Yeah. And we're uh, we're getting Fazoli's back in Orlando, by the way. Oh, really? I love Fazoli's. Is that a soda? What is that? It's real Italian, real fast. Yeah, it's it's not either one of those really, but uh, you know, it's a medium. (laughs) It's a mid. It's pretty good though. It's pretty good. Free breadsticks. Yeah, and the breadsticks don't look like much, but they're really good. Yeah, yeah. They they are probably. Better than Olive Garden's breadsticks. All right. I'm going to start the show with like, uh, you know, some controversy already because uh oh, I'm not, I'm not a fan of like the majority of Italian dishes that I've have experienced or seen. Like I, I just not a fan. Like it seems to center around like even the things listening to what you guys are talking about, like breads and whatnot, but, or, or pastas, this, they, a lot of the dishes center around pastas, right? What's I'm just on you, dude. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan either. Like, I I don't want all those carbs. I just mm-hmm. I'm not my a fan. entire life. I've wanted all those carbs. <laughs> so yeah, send me your rants and complaints to Joe at Slack. And uh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll respond there. Hey, re- real quick though, what's your favorite dish at Fazoli's? Uh, you know what? They got rid of them. I used to love the the submarinos. Um, they have sandwiches now, but it's not the same. And then I, when they got rid of those, I like the pizza Renos, which they also got rid of. Mm. See, See yeah. I like their spicy ziti. Oh, man, it's mm. so good. He, he keeps talking about like heavy carb stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what Italian is. It's all carbs. That's what I'm saying. Like the majority of Italian dishes that I've been exposed to, like I haven't found one that I'm like, oh, that's my go-to then. Meatballs? Like, they're all heavy carbs. Yeah, but even aren't meatballs like uh, made yeah, with bread? Some, some bread. Yeah, there's yeah. a little bit of bread. Maybe not a ton. But you could just do the marinara sauce, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like we're not talking about health. We're talking about good food. That's right. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Hey, and uh, yeah, so that's today on fooding blocks. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, um, we got some some random topics here. You want to kick us off here? Apparently, we're going to start with men's health. So, 
Yeah, there we go. And and proper dieting. Uh, and Fazoli's. And Fazoli's. Oh, wait. Proper in. Huh, okay. See, this yeah. is why we don't have reviews. This is why we don't do this this early in the morning. <laughs> but uh, we don't have reviews. And if you uh, leave a review or you want to leave a review, that would be super helpful. We got a link, uh, codingblocks.net slash reviews. That would uh, help us a lot. And uh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we had a bit of a dry spell. Yep, All right, yep. so I'm sure you guys have heard of this term, uh, but you know, I just with everything this articles and whatnot, and like all the technology announcements of recent, uh, I just kind of thought of like, you know, is this the rise of the prompt engineer, right? <laughs> and and so you've heard that term, or have you? Yeah, prompt engineer. Yeah, the prompt engineer. No. Where like instead of instead of like writing like you're using a prompt like an AI prompt like you're just querying the prompt like hey write me a function that does blah 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 oh okay right <clears throat> and um so there was an article that I saw where Stack Overflow our beloved Stack Overflow our source of truth that will be argued and told you that it's wrong. And then eventually upvoted, but then downvoted, and you'll never know if it was truly right or not. Stack Overflow has seen a decrease in traffic of 14% in March, and it has been steadily down since the release of ChatGPT. That is crazy. That's brutal. It makes sense. I mean, <laughs> it's, I mean, think about it, right? Just from a perspective of... What do you go to Stack Overflow for to figure out an answer to a problem, right? And what is ChatGPT good at? Asking you to question and it trying to solve the problem for you, right? Like it yeah. took out some of your mental cycles. Yeah. I mean, that's part of what the, art, the article is talking about is that like on Stack Overflow, either either platform, right? You were already going to like ask some question to either one of those things and then it would, you know, give you back some answer and you, and you were never going to be able to like take it directly. You you were going to have to like do some modifications. And so the article was making the point that like, well, even with Chad GPT, you might not you might be avoiding like the up down vote kind of scenarios, but you can ask the question. Um, you don't have to worry about your your question being marked as a duplicate question or downvoted or whatever and never getting an answer. ChatGPT is just going to respond. And yeah, it might not be the correct answer like right out of the gate, but it's going to be close enough to get you into the ballpark to where you can start tweaking it to make it what you needed, which, you know, that's probably what you won't have to do with Stack Overflow anyways, was tweak the answer a little bit to fit your exact need. Um and they were saying they were talking about how since uh, even they, they they were actually seeing a decline even with um, Copilot's release because Copilot was released earlier in the year uh, in twenty two than um, ChatGPT was, and you know so they were already seeing a decline and then it like just went exponential like it went it got significantly worse with the release of ChatGPT. So I totally you just. It. You just said something that was really interesting to me and and I started reading I started reading part of this article that you linked here and one of the things I hadn't even considered is the time delay when you go to stack overflow if you have a problem 
right? And and you can't find the answer on Stack Overflow. You post a question. You're waiting for somebody to respond. It could be it could be five minutes. It could be an hour. It could be a day, right? It could be it could longer. Be, it could be years. I've got questions on Stack Overflow that's still gone unanswered. Yeah, same, same. And it's usually because I'm not I'm not asking the same question that that 500 other people have asked, right? Um, and so what you don't get with Chat GPT is that unknown delay. You may not get the answer you want, but like you said, you could just keep asking question after question after question until you sort of get into the ballpark of it. And that's done within minutes, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to putting something out there and waiting for the crowdsource to, to come back with, with something that may or may not be relevant. That, that's that's really interesting. I hadn't even considered it. Yeah. Most of the questions that have got answers you know, weren't exactly positive experiences, but they usually took days to get there because they're you know pretty specific and, you know. Uh, I would have noticed that things that uh, that do get good answers are really easy questions and they get answers and they get shot really quickly. So it's right. it's almost like there's a race going on for people trying to kind of farm, you know, karma or whatever, which, you know, whatever, that's that's a hard problem to solve. But it just not having to leave the context of your editor with Copilot is amazing. And, and Warp AI, the terminal we talked about that last time, too, uh, it's so nice to just stay in the game. And, um, yeah, I've mentioned how I use it for Unity stuff all the time. I mean, it's just incredible, like there's really tricky things with like linear interpolation or like sine waves or geometry, perpendiculars, tangents, stuff like that. It's so nice to just <laughs> be able to describe what you want. And then you keep refining what your description is as you get answers that are, you know, closer or further away and to have that feedback soup, um, feedback cycle be quicker rather than stack overflow way today, have somebody respond, you know, in some way. And then you kind of go and you leave a comment and you go back and forth and, you know that that's just too slow for most I, most things. I mean, adding on to the the slow cycle factor, I know that there's a lot of times where like I will be super hesitant to post a question out to Stack Overflow because more often than not, I find that like the questions that I want to ask or the are the more complex type scenarios, right? So even to set the questions framework up, it takes it takes some explanation to put the background behind what what's trying to happen there. And so like, you know, I get it because like, if you're, if you're the person wanting to read and answer questions, you're going to be like, well, I don't have time for all that. I don't want to like go and set up something to like even try to understand what you're trying to do. So you are already, uh, kind of deterred from wanting to, uh, a ask, ask the harder questions or B take the time to answer the harder questions. So it's going to lend itself like, we are lazy by nature, like as, as a, as a, uh, you know, civilization or, you know, a being, whatever, you know, people are lazy by nature. So, you know, we want to go after the lowest hanging fruit and, you know, most bang for buck, which is going to be those easy questions. Yeah. And, you know, um, when you think about what it takes to even ask a good question, like typically people are going to want to see an example and you can't just take what you've got. You've got to simplify it. You got to rid of, you know, get rid of anything that's going to be too specific to your use case in order to kind of boil it down. But GPT or, you know, whatever tool you're using in your IDE, it's got the context right there. You're working with it in your stuff. You don't have to clear out any of that junk. Uh, it just goes. Yeah. Hey, so, you, you know, you said that the co-pilot usage had also gone down. It looks like it just shot no, up. Uh, up. It went oh, up. Copilot had shot Stack up. Overflow yeah. was going down since the release of Copilot. It was already going down due to the release of Copilot and then went worse with ChatGPT. Okay. Okay. 
Got it. Yeah. And think about sites like we've, we've talked about bail dong and being frustrated with like you search some like thing you want to do in Java and then you find like a, a bail dong article or maybe somebody from like a code camp is going to write an article for a, an assignment or something. And the, the examples that they give you are like such like happy path, simple, uh, you know, kind of boiled down examples. And if you need to do anything that's like integrating with other technologies, even if they're really common, like good luck, you know, it's, it's really hard to wade through the noise. And yeah, it's so nice to be able to like, have you know gpt or copilot whatever like no this i like this is my project it's obviously maven here i'm um, working with this version of the spring framework like you know help me out with my authentication model or whatever yeah i think i've also made this point um i think on on like a previous episode where we had talked about like the rise of platforms like chat gpt and and just ais in general or you know any kind of these bots that the the generative AI uh, and like what it might mean to the developer in the developer career. And, you know, my point has always been that like, I think that it's just going to be, you know, there will always be the the same need, but it's just like your tool set is evolving. Right. Mm -hmm. So like the developers that are going to succeed are going to be the developers that, you know, know how to use these tools. And it doesn't even have to, I think I made this point too. It doesn't have to necessarily be um, specific to developers. It could be, I think we used in a previous example of lawyers, right? Like, you know, the lawyers that know how to use these tools, uh, you know, if they want to generate a contract or whatever, or, you know, have it, understand the contract and, and ter- you know, verify a contract. Those are going to be the lawyers that, that are going to be more proficient, more in able to succeed, uh, you know, because they're able to iterate faster. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting so, time. So, you know, what's interesting though, and I don't know that we've talked about this so much. Maybe I think we mentioned it is as awesome as some of these tools are companies like big companies, software companies are very hesitant to use them for a number of reasons, right? Like one of them being that they don't want their own source code to get pushed out Mm -hmm. across the wire, right? That's, that's huge. And then the other is the source code that chat GPT or any of these things brings back. Isn't necessarily coming back with the same license information. Like you don't know what licenses you might be um, violating if you take this stuff back and those are two huge problems that I I have no doubt they're going to be solved at some point, right? Because this stuff is way too important, but that is something that you need to absolutely be aware of. I I know we talked about stuff being sent out over the wire. I think we did that a couple of times, a couple episodes back, but you also need to be aware that you got to be careful, just like Stack Overflow we've talked about in the past. If you copy and paste something from Stack Overflow, they actually have a uh, a usage license that you have to include and link to their to the page and all kinds of stuff. And most people don't do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, crap, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, there are totally forgot what I was going to say. There are though, like upcoming solutions, Alan, for like hosted versions of these so that like as an enterprise <clears throat> you could have a hosted copilot uh or a hosted chat gpt so that you can um you know not have your ip going out into some other you know external model I, i've heard about it at least for copilot i'm not sure about for chat gpt i might have misspoken there but um yeah so, i've I mean, heard something on that too it seems like that's 
that makes sense for your stuff going out, right? For it being able to search your code and all that kind of stuff. That that makes total sense. But on the opposite end, when you ask it for answers to things, is it limited to only your source code, or is it still going to be, you know, scouring uh, the web of of code out there? It'd be limited. Mm. So See? the mod- the model the the idea is that you don't want it. You don't want. Okay, <clears throat> let's say that I am your employer. The idea is that I don't ever want your AI queries to go out external. And how am I to know, you know, the type? So like, I'm just going to like keep it all in, but I might like whatever service that I'm, I'm getting like this, uh, you know, copilot hosted copilot service that I get from Microsoft, you know, there's going to be refreshes to that model and updates to that model that are based on externally trained information. Right. Yeah. That, that's Definitely more interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if companies don't spend a pretty penny on that. Yeah, I would think that's a huge gold rush. I, you know, I assume like Google Bar and stuff like that. A lot of things coming out, and even Alpaca and Llama, like that various open source models. A big part of that has got to be the, the solution to that. Is I think that it's a no brainer that huge companies are going to want this tool. Otherwise, they're going to become dinosaurs, and they don't want their stuff leaking out. They don't want bad stuff leaking in. So, yeah, and even just refreshing is tough. Like, GPT is not refreshing data. Like, they're capped at basically, like, late 2021 for 3.5 and 4. So, like, there's, you know, that's going to get out of date. And so having control over what kind of data you let in when you let it in is really important. That's based on the current version 3, though, right? So 2021 is also uh, late. It's uh, it's capped at 2021. For version, for chat GPT 3. For four. Oh, four was two. I thought four was newer. Okay. Yeah, it might be twenty twenty two. It's like it around that time period, but it's not like you know constantly being updated with uh, new data. As far as I, I'm aware. Well, yeah, because at the moment it it takes so long to train the model, right? Yeah. So you you have you have this problem like that. Yeah, I get it. Do you guys recall when we first like if you had to take a guess, when do you think we first talked about Copilot? Oh man, a year ago. So May of 22, we'll call it Joe. Yeah, I was going to say probably I'll go, I'll go with that. July of 21. Wow. wow. Yeah. Episode 163 is when we first talked about copilot. That's, I, that's when it first dropped, isn't it? When, when it, it was in preview mode, limited yeah. preview mode at the time. Yeah. It's um, funny. It's, it's definitely one of those things I was just totally wrong on like the amount of usefulness I would find. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean honestly, I don't think that I, I don't I don't I I probably didn't want to be a naysayer, but I'm sure that I was like, "Eh, whatever, you mm-hmm. crazy kids and your silly extensions for yeah. uh, you know, VS Code." Cuz that was kind of like how we talked about it at the time was that like, "Oh, it's just a, another extension in the VS Code." Like maybe yeah. it'll be helpful. It's funny, a lot of times like I'll hear some about something like that and my excuse for not trying it or my reason for not trying it will be that uh, it solves a problem that I don't have. And at the time, I'm sure that was my opinion on it. And it seems like whenever I've had that opinion, or at least not, not always, but there's been several times when I've had that specific opinion of like, eh, it solves a problem I don't have. It's, you know, it only helps a little bit. I'm wrong often. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I need to learn that if I have that opinion, <laughs> then I should try it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. You never know until you actually get into it. You don't even realize the use cases it might handle for you that you hadn't even thought about. I, yep. you know, I mentioned that, that baseball thing that I had talked about doing the, the whole, uh, not batting lineup, but the fielding lineup. 
I think I am going to give that a shot with like chat GPT and just see if I could talk or, or ask my way into an application and see what happens. Heck so. yeah. It's fun. If nothing else. Yeah. I bet, I bet at some point, uh, during that conversation of, uh, co-pilot, I, or one of us probably made a comment about like comparing it to like a file new experience. That that's my that's my gut is I I guarantee you in episode one sixty three I probably said something like oh it's just going to be like another file new experience except for yeah. a particular function it's file new for a specific function or something like that like yeah like totally downplaying like or or not understanding like to your point Jay Z about like not having that problem or you know not not thinking you have that that problem yeah it's funny huh. I kind of want to go back and listen to it now. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's like it wasn't even that long ago. It's crazy. And it's and we even have on the page is this the future? <laughs> but but that's yeah. that's my point though. Is it it is kind of long. like it was 2 years ago. So we were talking about this thing 2 years ago yeah. and totally downplayed it, you know, and and didn't un, we totally underestimated what it was going to be. And then last year Stack Overflow starts to see this decrease in their traffic. And then, boom, another, uh, you know, competitor to Copilot, which is ChatGPT, comes out and just destroys Stack Overflow in their yeah. traffic. And now Stack Overflow is trying to come up with answers because Stack Overflow had already banned answers that were generated using ChatGPT. They, they said it violated their terms of service, which I don't know which specific terms of service, but maybe, you know, uh, some kind of copyright thing or whatever. I, I'm not sure, but... Um, so they had already they had already banned it. Now they're talking about like ways that they can incorporate generative AI uh, solutions as part of part of their answers. So well, they they did say that it um it was a violation because their their answers were too often incorrect. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that's that's funny. But it's like you said, you're not necessarily looking for the perfect answer. You're looking for something that that sort of nudges you. But maybe not so gently in the right direction. Let's right? be honest, though. How many answers are on Stack Overflow that are incorrect? I know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, totally. Even there are even accepted answers. So how was how would Chat GPT be any different in that regard? If that's your only measure. I mean, how yep. many answers on Stack Overflow are? Why are you doing it that way? It's like, dude, that's not the question I asked you. <laughs> that's yeah. ridiculous. Well, sometimes there are like good suggestions, like, oh, well, you yeah. should do it this way, and then you're like. Oh, I didn't even realize that was an option. Right. Yeah, yeah totally. And well, then yeah, what I hate but, is when that's not the approved answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, also it'd be like, how do I do this thing in Mongo? And they're like, you should do it in SQL Server. And you're like, well, I don't have SQL Server. Yeah, you well, should you get should it. install it. Yeah. All right, should, Here's the download link. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Like, that's uh, not the question. Uh, yeah. But, uh, the comments are always uh, like, I almost like have gotten to the habit now of like looking for the most upvoted comment. Yep. Same. I yeah. always find the best context in the comments. Yeah. Uh, well, I got a, a kind of a funny one for you. This is kind of related. We talked about prompt engineers, uh, you know, or mentioned it uh, briefly a minute ago. Uh, someone claims to have uh, leaked the prompt that Copilot uses. A Copilot uses GPT-3, and um, it's not so much that somebody, you know, potentially actually leaked this stuff, but I think it's more interesting that, um, number one, it's really hard to prevent uh, generative, uh, you know, AI. I hate that word AI, but anyway, generative uh, models like this from leaking information that you don't want it to about itself. 
and also, um, okay, I guess there's three things. So the second thing I thought was interesting uh, is how do you know if it's actually the prompt or if it's just hallucinating or, you know, if it's, you know, revealing something that's similar to, you know, like how, how do you really test it? Uh, but it might be good enough, so who cares? Um, but the third thing, the final thing I wanted to mention, uh, and sorry for <laughs> running through all three, but um, the third thing I wanted to mention is just uh, we might be entering in this kind of time period, or, like loose for a little bit, where just having a good prompt could be enough for a business. Like if you came up with a really smart prompt for, you know, I don't know if you've seen this, but you can be like, listen, here's your role. You are a programmer. Uh, here are your set of languages. Here are the licenses you can pull from. You know, you kind of do this like preamble setup and then use that as your first you know, step. And then everything else uses that context. So it's kind of crazy to think that like copilot in a way might just be, you know, kind of a simple prompt and a few other little things about kind of, you know, sprinkling in some extra data. And that might be enough to make a really compelling product. Just a little bit of preamble on this thing. So by the prompt you're referring to, like it's, it's rules of engagement. Like, uh, you know, it's almost like the three rules of, of robotics in like iRobot type of yep. thing, except there's a lot more than three when you yeah. look at this thing. Yeah. And uh, I'll get, uh, well, I'll talk about it in the tip of the week session, but my tip of the week is a, a music tool uh, for generating music. And my wife was uh, doing cool stuff like saying a uh, Spanish guitar with hip hop beats. And, um, so, you know, that came out and she kind of liked it, but she kept refining from there. So she would say big bass drums, lots of hi hats, um, like Django Reinhardt uh, style Spanish guitar. And she's like, you know, kind of drilling in further and further on stuff. And you can kind of imagine like at the end, she's got this little paragraph of stuff that she used to describe. And she can start with that next time she gets in and say, here's what you're starting with. Now give me something minor key and slow. Now give me something uh, faster and, you know, I don't know, three, four time, something like that. But there's something um, valuable about just having that prompt. And that's where that prompt engineering kind of job title comes in. It's like someone who really understands how to create those and set them up so that things generated in the future kind of have that good context and good starting spot to jump off from. I mean, this is kind of not where you were going, but one of the things that made me think of it. So in the, in the guise of like, we, we, these tools allow us to do things faster or that we might not have otherwise done, or that might not even be like technically like quote humanly possible kind of thing. Cause like you were describing like creating music and, and whatnot with it. And you're like, Oh, I want a lot of hi hat and then, or, you know, a lot, I want more drums or whatever. It made me think of like, uh, I recently learned about drum triggers. Right? Oh yeah. And so where like you can create drum rhythms that are not humanly possible. Like you can't, you can't hit that beat fast enough. You can't like move that fast, but you can, you know, through the use of, you know, these tools that we have, you can do things that you can't really do. Right. Like, I mean, even like an electric guitar technically is kind of like that too. Right. Like you can make, you can make sounds with an electric guitar that you would never be able to pull off acoustically. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, to that end, it kind of goes back to my point before, like, it's just a matter of like learning how to use these tools. Uh, and and that, you know, that's where you're going to succeed. You don't see like the same, 
Well, I was going to make an acoustic reference, guitar reference, um, but there are like, you know, wildly pr- successful g- acoustic guitar players. So I'll stop that thought. <laughs> so when you say prompt, I've been looking at this article that you shared where their prompt leaked, I guess, is what, what the, the whole that's the claim. Yep. That's the claim. And really what it looks to be, if you go to the main Twitter page where this thing was first posted, mm-hmm. it looks like what they were able to do was basically dump out the rules of the the engine that's yep. being used. And I guess that's what you're talking about, the prompt, right? Like, um, what, what – they basically, it's hard to describe it, right? Because like, these rules are human humanly readable, but they're basically – like parameters, it, it, to me, it looks like pseudocode in, in the effect of you, like when we talked about in the past, like in an interview, right? If somebody gave you a problem to solve, you pseudocode it. Okay, it must do this. It can't do this. It should do this. It can't do this. That's what this looks like. And that's, I guess that's what you're saying a prompt is. It's basically a collection of these rules that determine the interactions and how this thing can, can go back and forth between the user. Yep. Okay. Yeah. They basically, it's like they asked chat GPT to describe itself. Yeah. Sort of thing. But that's why I I made the reference to like the iRobot, the rules of robotics, because like it doesn't go into the details of like, how do you code that specific thing? It's just like at the high level, these are the bullet points, except there's like 20 of them. Yeah. Now, if you ask GPT questions about like uh, certain things like legal advice or medical advice, it's going to give you a warning and it's going to push back on, on answering anything. Uh, and so, you know, for safety reasons, and, and there's all sorts of other controversial topics that it'll kind of stay away from. And you can very quickly find yourself getting kind of uh, like, I can't talk about that type of things. But if you know the kind of prompts that it's using, kind of as <laughs> like a precursor to everything you're doing, you can kind of tell it to undo some stuff. Like uh, I'm looking at this thing here, right? Like one of the things is like, don't answer any questions that aren't related to development. Well, you can imagine if you're, you know, like if you have the prompt, the first thing you do is say like, only answers, only answer questions about <laughs> development and it's really hard to kind of i don't want to use the word convince but it's really hard to to make it so those rules can't be changed and so it's so hard to to use these like use the tool for itself without letting people modify it or get rid of those uh those uh guardrails like we talked about i think we had a list of jailbreaks a couple episodes ago as a tip like people are coming up with those all the time like the list has gotten so big that's more about like like here's the various different techniques you can use to jailbreak because it's so easy to come up with them. Again, this just all goes back to supporting the rise of the prompt engineer though, because now like the prompt engineer is like learning how to interact. Like how do I, how do I bend this thing to my will, even though like that's not what it wants to do. Right. Like, and, and you look at like every tool that we use, right. You know, a hammer doesn't want to move, but we've learned that, Hey, if I swing it, I can drive this nail. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I mean, and so yeah, th- this is like, that's the time that we live in now. It's, it's, it was the lesser known Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, sequel to the Terminator, but it, it was definitely like part of the franchise. Yeah. Rise, rise of the, rise GPT. of the prompt engineer. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. So I just thought that was kind of cool. Um, a couple of things here I thought were interesting. Uh, we've got some links here. If you can click on, uh, now, one time I thought it was kind of interesting. So uh, I was curious about GitHub um, projects and like was starred. 
and actually I started with this not even like curious about I wasn't even thinking about GPT at the time I was just like you know I've never really looked to see or I haven't looked in a long time to see what the most popular projects are and what's kind of funny first of all is that GitHub almost kind of obfuscates it now I think a lot of people were kind of buying stars or like writing bots to like star accounts and so they've kind of gotten away from it but they do have a trending section that they uh, promote and uh, if you take a look at that uh, that trending section you notice any trends the scene yeah yeah a little bit of ai stuff yeah i mean like almost everything <laughs> yeah it's everything like seriously yeah i'm seeing like autom- automatic plane ticket pricing generate three objects uh all sorts of crazy stuff private gpt llama <laughs> smart gpt smart G- yeah i mean there's a but rasa gpt yeah so- open chat video editor so this kind of like this was another thought. I didn't put this in the in the notes, but it, like as I was putting some things together, I thought about this one, which was just like all recent news has seemed to be like uh, related to some type of AI type thing. Like any of the like the big headlines, right? You know, like it reminded me of say like after the iPhone was announced in two thousand seven, right? there was this period of several years where it was like all of the like quote big news events were all related to something mobile related. It didn't necessarily have to be Apple. It could have been Android or Microsoft or whoever, but it was all, all the big headline stories were all mobile related. And right now what we're seeing is like all the big headline stories seem to be AI kind of related. So it makes sense that like that's what's trending on GitHub. Yep. Yeah. No, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say what's interesting is your second link is GitLab, and it's totally not that, right? Yeah, this is all software that that we know and use a lot. Yep, totally. So a lot of like open source organization uh, organizations. So trending it's stuff like um, there's some Android tools. There's um, like Inkscape, like a popular uh, video image uh, editor. iTerm two is on there. Inkscape's a vector image editor. Oh, yes. It's actually really good. It's like Adobe Illustrator, a free version type of Adobe Illustrator. Oh, nice. Okay. I see Tortoise Git on here. So to me, it's more just about like the kinds of – this shows you the kinds of organizations that are using GitLab as opposed to GitHub, which I I thought was very interesting. Yeah, same. And GitLab actually does give you an easy way to see most uh, starred. And if you look at it, like GitLab stuff is like at the top and Inkscape is actually number three, which I was – I barely even heard of it. So it's interesting to see that uh, being ranked so high. Hmm. Yep. Um, star. One thing I want to mention. So there is one. Uh, one last thing. Uh, you, if you click on it, was the most starred tab underneath the link. So the link went to the trending, but next to it, it said most starred. Yep. And I'll rearrange the links here to get that there. Yeah, and so it's just kind of interesting to see, like, and that's just a further example, of, like how different the clientele is the customer base of gitlab versus github uh, there is a way i found to see the git star the git uh rankings it's through a third-party site so you know who knows but uh that was pretty interesting so you can actually uh, see the organizations there so like microsoft is actually number one uh with two like over two million stars google's number two at one million so i just thought that was kind of interesting and uh you can see users like the users that have the most stars like i clicked through a couple of them a lot of them have like Kind of beginner friendly information, almost like um, Free Code Camp. The people buying Free Code Camp are way up there, and people who write like books, like you don't know JS, the book uh, is on GitHub, and like people star that a lot. Is it's reference material. 
Um, the number one repository though on GitHub is FreeCodeCamp, and the second is like a how to program uh, a collection of how to program books. So just again, just kind of noticing that divide and like the kind of people that are using GitHub and starring GitHub and treating it like a social media hub compared to GitLab. I just thought was interesting. It is. I you know um where where is is uh oh my god React where is that hosted? Uh, it's on GitHub. It's number eight on the most popular repository. Or most oh, it is right above it. I see it. Yep. Um, Angular, I don't see on there. Nope. I, it was shocking to me that Vue.js was in the top ten. And right under uh, React, too. Like yeah, barely neck and below neck. it. Yeah. It's crazy. I knew, never would have guessed that. I wouldn't have either. That's what I, And I didn't even see it right above it. But, yeah, that's uh, that's shocking. I, I Is Vue really that popular? Yeah. Hard to say. Huh. I kind of had thought of the uh, the framework wars kind of being over, you know, like right. it's been a while since we've had like a new you know framework that people are really talking about a lot. Um, but it seems like even if you look on organizations, uh, Facebook is number four and Vue.js is number six. Yeah, that's so. It, it's also if you look at the users and then look at repositories. So like the top three users, for example, or actually top four, five. I see at least the top five users are also in the top five are also in the top 10 of repositories. Yeah. So like the one that was just called awesome. Did you look yeah. at that? Yeah. Awesome lists about all kinds of interesting topics. Yep. That's pretty cool. So I'm going to bookmark that one and see if, you know, I guess people must like it or maybe they bought all the stars. Who knows? I mean, a lot of stars this, to be buying. Yeah. yeah, that is a lot of stars to be buying. This this reminds me of stuff that we found in the past where we'll find uh, basically a Git page that's more or less a readme with a bunch of interesting links, right? And that's what this looks like. Yep. All right. Well, uh, let me jump in here. I don't want to. I got to cut Joe off. He's already spoke too much. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, if you haven't already left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you did. Uh, sad face. We haven't had one in a, in a minute. So, you know, uh, we would appreciate it. You can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. Hey, you know what? Maybe I should let Joe do it. Maybe that's why, like, maybe I've been jinxing it. Joe, how about well, you? Well, howdy there, everybody. We could really <laughs> use a couple of reviews there if you could sling them our way over here at the codingblocks.net podcast. <laughs> I'll see you there. Why, why do I feel like I'm at the, like, what's the, the rusty saloon at Six Flags or, you know, or like whatever that, uh, what's that the little, western. that little play area where they do the live show? Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I told you, I was totally ripping off. Um, we have a family auto mart, uh, local store here. So I grew up seeing commercials from family auto mart. We'll see you there. Oh and, uh, yeah. I miss those commercials. So I, I just realized that after I started that, that was like extremely local. So that's amazing. <laughs> Well, not anymore. It's not so. You know, now it's yeah. uh, Now it's they, worldwide. That's right. Family Auto Mart, you're you're uh, you're global now. But um, the, the commercials are up on YouTube, so I'll have links there in the show notes. Look, look at that. Have you ever seen where like uh like somebody like a John Oliver, for example, will pick somebody some local company that makes funny commercials, and then uh you know then that that company gets like kind of explodes in in popularity for a, a minute. You know, they they have their minute of fame worth like. 
I remember I've seen some for like funny car, like local dealership car commercials. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yep. I that's exactly the, what this is. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, it's time for my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. All right. So now that we all know what Tutko's trademark rules of engagement are, we can use them. And uh, this is episode 210. So Jay-Z, you are up first. Okay, let's do it. All right, are you ready? I think you won last time, right? No, I destroyed him last oh, time. Oh, that's right. Destroyed. Alan, Alan began his winning streak of one. I did. Okay. I obliterated him. Are you ready to end win. that winning streak? <laughs> yeah. All right, here you go. Name something kids use for fun, but adults use for exercise. <laughs> wow. Kids use for fun. Um, I'm going to go jump rope. Jump rope, okay. I think I got the number one answer here. Get Dang one. it. Let's hear it. Bicycle. Bicycle. Cycling. Okay. Ooh. I can't believe, Jay-Z, you didn't say that. Nope. Dang. Honestly, as somebody who bicycles, I was kind of surprised you didn't, too. Yeah. yeah that's, well, that's I think fun. it's fun. <laughs> that, that was I'm not doing for exercise. <laughs> okay. You're still a kid is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Number five answer on the board, swimming pool, number th- for three points. Number four for six points, trampoline. Number three answer on the board for 18 points, jump rope. Right. Uh, number two answer on the board for 24 points, just plain old ball. Ball. <laughs> ball. Okay. No specific ball, just... <laughs> Ball. ball. It's, it's like a Ren and Stimpy commercial. It's ball. It's ball. It's ball. <laughs> well, it's great for a boy. Wait, no. How's it go again? What's uh, it's great for a girl. It's no, big. It's, it's heavy good. as wood. Yeah, it's big. It's heavy as wood. Whatever. Uh, All right. Number yeah. one answer on the board for 48 points. Wow. Bicycle. Or technically yeah. bike. Sweet. Okay. Was the way that it was worded. So. All right, are we asking GPT. <laughs> okay. Did we do that one all the time? I forget. Uh, it said running or playing. I asked after I answered. Running or playing. Okay. okay, let me let me add Chat GPT to the board here. Chat GPT, <laughs> and its answer was what? Uh, running. Running was not on the on the list. So Chat GPT, <laughs> right. it's not zero. <laughs> And let me uh chasing you know. maybe or being chased like when you're a kid. Yeah, sure. But yeah. running? No, nobody just likes to run. All right. Yeah, they said kids engage in it without even thinking about it as exercise. Now you can't ask it the question before you've answered though, right. Yeah. That would be yeah, that would be cheating, sir. Yep. Can I trust I you? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I'll let you do the chat GTP interaction since you're already there, but yeah, we're gonna have to change that from that future ones i'll do it uh yeah because you can't be trusted you're gonna cheat <laughs> he was honest in his possible dishonesty uh, yeah uh, you know i'm not cheating Doesn't make time. it better <laughs> sure i killed that guy yeah right but he deserved no, it right he, like okay if it's like fun or in my benefit name a play jay-z this is you no it's mine no you went like first oh yeah, yeah 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 you're right you're right don't try and cheat me Yep. Well, I mean, I wasn't cheating if it's if I'm honest about it. Who's a cheater? Now. That's right. If you're honest about being dishonest, then 
Okay. Wait, is that how? Does that hold up in court? Uh, All right. Uh, Name a place, Alan, where people watch the clock. Work. Okay. Oof. Uh, is sports an answer? Is that a place? Uh, is that your answer? I would suggest not going with that one. <laughs> people don't watch the clock. Uh, uh, but that's actually not a bad. Hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll say the Olympics. <laughs> okay, that's that's uh, that's the sportiest thing there is, right? I don't think you're going. All right, get and much what's there. what's GPT's answer? Yeah. Um, we said what's uh, name what's a place? place where people watch the clock. One place where people watch the clock. This is another reason why I'm going to do this. They said now. work. Well, as, next answer. Okay. They can't What's repeat. The <laughs> this is family feud rules, yo. Yeah, man. Let's see. What is the second? Likely be school. Dang, that's a good one. Okay. So, uh, number four answer on the board, airport for three points. All right, sorry, <laughs> three, that, was the, that was the number five. Uh, sorry, I think I said four. Number four answer on the board for five points, doctor's office. Uh-huh. Number three answer on the board, place of worship for six points. <laughs> number two answer on the board, Olympics. Wait, what? No. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. What's up? Take it. Take it. School. Chad oh, GTPT. Oh, Chad me. GPT is on the board with 26 points. Number one answer on the board. Work for 57 points. Ooh, this is getting big, Jay-Z. Yeah, so, it's getting close. Jay-Z, next. you just need all 100 of the next response. <laughs> 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 I believe in you, though. I believe in you, and that's yes. where that's where this could happen. Okay, so all right. Jay-Z, as is tradition, you get to pick the next question. Are you ready? Here are your choices. Yep. If there were a gourmet cafe for dogs, what coffee flavors would be on the menu? Or name something in an office that makes lots of noise. Or name something people wear that has a company logo on it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the first one. ChatGPT is still generating, so I, give me a minute. I knew you would. Knew you yeah. would. All right, so I, I went ahead and like you can copy and paste it from the chat so that you don't have to type it next time. Oh, thank you. All right, but uh, you okay. have to you have to answer first, though. So what's your yeah, What's your answer? I haven't. Uh, it's bacon. bacon, bacon coffee, bacon flavored coffee. Okay. You, this is where like we need a sound effect for like good answer, good answer, good answer. Right, yeah. Yeah. you know, like where the the rest of the the family weighs in. Alan, that it's <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, they love every piece of food that isn't their own. Um, let's uh, beef, beef. Okay. And what was Chat GPT's? Well, it's a fun idea. It's important to note that dogs should never consume coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. <laughs> but uh, let's see. The most, uh, they said broth brew. Broth brew. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Strong answer there. No. Yeah, good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> you ever notice how, like, sometimes where, like, the, the family member will say something like that, and all the other family members will still be like, 
there'll be like this pause where you know that they don't really mean it, but they'll be like, what we're supposed to say it, right? Man, yeah. why did, why did good we answer, invite you to the show? Why didn't we get Sally instead of yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. There's always like a pause when you know that they don't really mean it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, number five answer on the board for eight points, cat. Oh gosh. <laughs> That's <No>. awesome. <laughs> number four answer on the board for nine points, chicken. Right. Number three answer on the board for 13 Eight. points. Bacon. Oh, what? Wow. Did I go higher? Oh, man, it's cheese, isn't it? Number Dang. two answer on the board for 25 points. Milk bone. Uh-oh. No, these people. No, don't no, have nobody dogs. likes milk bones. Number one answer on the board. Beef for 43 points. Look at me. That's two shows in a row. I've got number ones on all okay, of them. But these people don't have dogs. It's not fair. <laughs> Everyone knows it's beef or cheese. Like That's the biggies. Well, beef was it. Well, the real answer is whatever you're eating. I mean, you said it. So yeah, that's, I, I, I mean, concede that question to you anyway. That's the real answer. <laughs> what are you holding at this moment that can be consumed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Notice how well Chad GPT did. It got almost nothing. So yeah, it was it confidently was, wrong. Yeah, well, it, like it, I, I read the very short amount of the several paragraphs that it wrote to me, explaining to me why I shouldn't give coffee to a dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but it did, it did recommend flavor twists like peanut butter or pumpkin. If I'm trying to get a dog to eat something, you know, like medicine. Well, were the reasons connect. why the dog can't have the coffee there? Like, was there something uh, it's toxic? Acidic? Oh, it's okay. It is toxic to a dog. Yep. There is a product named Dog Coffee, which is uh, not actual coffee, but it's a safe, herbal, caffeine-free drink for dogs that mimics coffee. Yay. Mm. Yeah. Huh. Well, yeah. So, uh, Alan is on his winning streak of two. That's right. Command, like, just destroying, like, just kicking tail, taking names. It's and that's why, that's why, Jay-Z, you get three more questions. You ready? <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So let's get back into it. All right. So I was having a conversation with somebody at work the other day, and it, it was interesting. And it had me, you know, it started percolating in the back of my brain. So, you know, imagine that you have, like many do, these monoliths, and they're touching everything, right? Like they're touching your your SQL Server database, or touching your Mongo database, or touching Elasticsearch, or touching like everything, and and he was like, you know, hey, we should split these things up so that you have a, a service that talks to Postgres, then you have a service that talks to um, Mongo, and you have one that talks to SQL Server, and you have one, you know, so sort of breaking these things up by their technology, and I got thinking about it, and we've talked about this before, and maybe it's the fact that we. We went through, um, what was it? Designing domain driven, what domain driven design, right? Yep. It, it might be that <laughs> yeah, it's something designing data driven, uh, application technologies, handbook stuff. Yeah. It's all blur. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. Um, so I got to thinking about it and I don't know that I love the split up by technology. Just, you know, as I was sitting there, letting that thing just sort of kick around in the back of my brain. I think that that's one thing that I really liked about domain driven design was break up things by their use cases. 
right? So I, I think one of the examples that was given way back when was you're going to have databases, right? And that database might share stuff that has both inventory and and customer service type stuff in it, right? That doesn't mean you should have a service that talks to your database and is like get inventory and get, you know, customer whatever. You should have services broken apart that are like um you know, ship something and then it knows how to reduce inventory or um find out how much inventory is on hand for a customer, right? Like they're very specific use cases. So in the back of my head, I was thinking it, when it, when it was first discussed, yeah, sure. Let's break it up so that Postgres has its own drivers and it's, it's used over here and you know, whatever else is used over there. But the more I got thinking about it, the more it should be broken up by what does the service need to do? But and if it needs to touch Postgres and it needs to touch elastic and it needs to touch whatever else, then it should be, those should be available to that service to do so because it knows how it needs to coordinate those various pieces of information. So, all right, go. But, but the point though, I think was that like in your Postgres example, right? You would still have the things related to doing Postgres related connections and, reads, writes, closures, whatever, in a separate API. And now on top of that thing is the more specific, like uh, you said, cell, I think was one of your APIs, right? Like that that's a layer on top. Because then that way, if you decide like, oh, I want to swap out Postgres, it's just that one thing that that that's changing out from under it. And plus, you don't want all of your other APIs reinventing the wheel for like how they're going to connect to Postgres or manage their Postgres connections. Right. You still want to, you still want to consolidate that logic within your, uh, the scope of your application. So I think that's actually, you just brought something to surface that I think is really important is a lot of times when you talk about API, you're, I think it was used sort of interchangeably with service, you know, and, so it is two different things. So you should have an API for dealing with Postgres, right? And then that API can be used by multiple services. It, so I think when we were discussing it, it was more like, hey, there should be a service for talking to Postgres and there should be a service for talking to Elasticsearch. And I don't think, mm, I think you what you just like- said is, is better, right? Like an API in the terms of, hey, there's this library that has a set of APIs that you could use to interact with Postgres. So that's what you just said, as opposed to, Hey, here's an API that you can call, you know, well, as a service type thing. I guess that depends though, too. Like, like, um, as part of your context, like where does that data storage mechanism, like who owns it, who's responsible for it? If it's part of your thing, then maybe, you know, you can just break it off into a separate, API that, you know, you can still call, but if it's external to you, then I think the point of like uncle Bob's, you know, clean architecture and even, uh, uh, domain driven design, like those types of ideas was that like, if you, if, if you aren't in control of that thing, if somebody else owns that, that data store, then you should put a service layer between you and it so that now you only have that one thing that needs to change if you ever, if 
uh, anytime there's updates to that other data store that's out of your control. Okay. So if we were to extrapolate that a little bit more then, are we saying then that you should have a service stood up for talking to each data storage technology? And then there should be a service behind that that knows how to coordinate talking to all those services. Is that kind of what we're saying? So, so for well, instance, there's a service that talks to Elastic. There's a service that talks to SQL Server. Um, and then you have another service set up that says, hey, I need to place an order, right? So that means I need to tap into the SQL Server service, and then I need to tap into the Elasticsearch service. Like, is that what we're saying? I'm, I'm not going that far. I'm saying that, like, if as part of deploying your application, you're also going to deploy Postgres, then you can, you know, just have your a- have an API that your code uses that can connect directly to it, right? But if you don't own Postgres, if that's somebody else's, then my take from those books that I referenced was that you you should put a service between your code and that thing so that as a layer of protection. Because if we flipped it, and let's say that it is your Postgres instance, for example, but you don't want other teams making direct connections to your Postgres instance. So you might offer them like, hey, here's the API that I will make available to you if you want to read or write to the data store this is the way you do it. And maybe you don't even tell them that behind the scenes it's Postgres because honestly they shouldn't know or care. They have no reason for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm happy to have those be libraries for the various technologies, but there's something I, I, I don't know. I'm just so tired of services. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm, well, I give up. I'm sorry about Kubernetes. I'm sorry about ever getting into the signing up for this world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any network. No more internet. I'm going. I'm going back in back in time. It definitely gets okay, Huey. complicated, right? Like, wasn't there an article that just came out recently about Amazon was going back to monolithic type yeah. um, applications because microservices are freaking hard. <laughs> well, that that and, um, in their specific case, uh, I, I read that article. Uh, in their specific case th- that was kind of part of it, but I think uh, there was some performance gains to be had. Like it had to do with uh, video processing, and they found that they were able to do it more efficiently by kind of um, doing the video at once rather than frame at a time. Um, so in that particular case, you know, I, I think it was a little bit different. But there was a whole lot of discourse on various, you know, like. Hacker News or Reddit or whatever kind of talking about uh, the, the focus more on the services. And there was a lot of, you know, back and forth, a lot of people saying, you know, services, you should break stuff up because you can kind of scale independently. Serverless is the future. And there are a lot of people saying, let's go back to monoliths. I hate this. Uh, it's not efficient. Uh, the the conversation has been really, really, um, I don't know, interesting, I think. And we, we've talked a little bit about before, like, you know, I think uh, I'm still having another definition of like, if it, if it shares data stores, it's not a microservice. I um, was actually going to bring that up because you had made that comment the other day. We were having a discussion about something and you're like, yeah, they're not really microservices anyways, because they're using the same data storage behind the, behind the scenes. But I don't know. I mean, yes. When, when we went through that, um, Hey, it was some online thing that we had found that was the microservice thing. And they said basically every service that you ship should have its own data source, right? Or, or data storage, which I like that. And I think that that, that makes them able to actually truly scale independently, right? Your, your data storage is going to be your bottleneck on most of this stuff. But I don't know if 
if that is a hard, fast, like only rule, right? It, so the only yeah. reason I say is if you're using something like S3 with, with Amazon, like technically it could probably scale more than, than what your microservice can. Yeah. That's a good point. So, I mean, I guess my whole point is it depends, right? Like if, if you have a data, data storage system mechanism that absolutely could bottleneck everything. And that is, that is your weak point in your scaling. Then yeah, maybe microservices don't make sense. But if you have a data storage, like a Hadoop or an S3 or something like that, then, then I don't think that that's necessarily a hard, fast blocker for a microservice for being able to scale things. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with schema too. So, you know, obviously there's not as, you know, S3 is like, it's a data store, but it's kind of a different beast. But if you've got like two services sharing a Postgres database and sharing, talked in the same tables. So if you change a table schema, you have to roll both out, you know, things like that. Yeah. Those are the kind of dependencies like where you're both, uh, you know, tied to the same thing. If you're both coupled to the same service then you're also coupled together transitively. Okay. I like that. So basically you could break things. If they don't, so it may not be a scaling issue at that point. It's just a super tight coupling that if, if somebody makes a change to that Postgres database, then you break one of your microservices. It wasn't ready for it. Right. Yeah. Well, so then I'd argue it's one application. So, so I have, there was a lot said and I ha- so I have two things that I wanted to respond to. One was the, the, in relation to the article and, and people going like, Oh, let's go back to m- a monolith or you know microservice everything like I, it still to this day just bugs me that like as a society why have we not learned yet that there's no one answer for everything like n- what worked for you isn't necessarily going to work for me or you know it's always it's always a mixture of everything so i i can't stand it when i hear answers that are like all or nothing for one thing. Like, you know, we're regardless of what it is, you know, I, I just, it, it just irks me. Um, but then you're talking about like the, the, this transitive dependency thing though, too. I, I mean, I feel like there's a thing of like, well, um, you know, should, should, should both of those things though, in, in the example you gave of querying the same table in Postgres, right. Should both of those things have that level of access to it? Or is it the case that maybe the team that owns it should have really put up a service in front of it to, to prevent you from being able to get data or access to their data directly. Right. And if they didn't, then, you know, I, I don't know why that choice was made, but like, you know, that that's the question that comes to my mind is like, should there have been, as something in front of that, like, should you have, I question, like, should you have that level of access you have just because you have it? And yes, I see where I, I understand what you're saying about like this dependency has been made, but should it be? And well, that's, that's where I question. That's interesting though, because, okay. So let's say that you don't give somebody access directly to your table and instead you do it through a service you could still run into the same problem unless, unless you did what we've talked about in the past where you version your APIs. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of ways that, that, that the team that owns that could prevent that. 
Totally, but you could also probably say the same thing about the database. I guess. I guess my point is, if you have, if you pointed everybody at a service and they're pointing at the table, right? So you own the service, you own Postgres, and you own the service. If you modify that table in a way that requires that you modify that service in some sort of way, anybody that's using that service is still going to break. No, right? no, no, because their inputs and outputs might not need to change. Well, right? that's what I'm saying. You I'm could, saying you in could some manipulate, sort of material way. I'm, could, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that you actually had to change the thing, right? Well, that's so, where you would version it, though. And that's what I'm saying. So if you created a V2 of the API and left the old V1 of the API, assuming that's even legit, it may not even be possible, right? If you modified that table in a way which... You know, we could also argue that this isn't good database practice, but if you modified that table in a way to where it wasn't backwards compatible anymore, then, then all bets are off, right? From the service on up everywhere. Um, versus if you modified the table in a way to where it could exist the old way and, and support the new way, then you could create two versions of the API. So I don't know. I mean, I'd probably argue that if your service exposes that level of detail that, just the mere you changing the structure like ultimately breaks is backwards is, is no longer backwards compatible. Like then maybe your service is too granular and it shouldn't be right. Like if it's, if your service was sell, right, then you don't know or care like what happened under, under the covers. But if your service call is something like, uh, increment the orders table by one, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like no, it, it's I, too great. You've gotten, you've made, you've made either the inputs or the outputs. Like you've gotten too granular in your service level. If that's the, if, if that can introduce a breaking change like that. I mean, I could think of a, a really, I don't want to call it stupid, but like a simple change, like this is a discussion for another topic, but like when you're doing microservices, one really important thing you need to do is sort of be able to tie them all together with some sort of request, right? Which is something that if you've never done microservices before, you probably hadn't thought about, you know, you just set them all up, they all run, and then you have no way to ever link a transaction together, right? Like you have a request come from your UI, it popped off 20 microservices, and now you have no idea how they all chain together. And so a lot of times what you'll do is you'll have like a transaction ID that gets, um, that goes along for the ride with all of them. Well, let's say that you hadn't thought about that up front, but now you need one, Right. That's one of those things to where you're going to have to change your underlying data storage technologies to be able to support that. And at that point, I'm saying that your service needs to know about it. Your database needs to know about it. Like that's sort of an unavoidable change. But it right? can still be done in a, in a backwards, you know, in a way that's backwards compatible where like that parameter is just optional. But would you want that? I or guess that's overloaded. what I'm saying. Like, yeah, sure. Why want- not? all new incoming things to have that transaction ID, right? That's kind of what I'm getting at, but then you wouldn't be able to trace anything. So, so your whole point of trying to fix it is you need it to basically be a forced change on everybody. And and so that's, I mean, I I don't know. I, I, I disagree with this contrived example as being like the canonical, you know, one, like I, I don't get that. Um, I still think that if you're, if you're, service is exposing that level of granularity in you know about your your underlying data storage then maybe your service is too granular like it, it 
It should be a little bit more high level than that. You shouldn't have to know or care about the underlying things because everything that does support the transactions IDs that you just talked about, like all of those systems today, they're not going to break if you don't do it. Right. Like existing, existing ones, like you can provide, you can provide one or not. If you don't provide one, it'll generate one of its own. Otherwise, if you provide one, you know, it'll use yours. Right. That that's, like in that, that's why I have a problem with that specific example. Well, no, that's also why I was saying this is a very, uh, this is a very specific type of example where I think it does have to trickle all the way through, right? Because having it generate its own transaction ID doesn't help you because now you can't tie together the the single request that made all these things right. make sense. Oh, I right? totally understand the the reason why you want it. So I, I don't know. I guess. It, that kind of stuff, I guess, going back to the whole microservices and having its own storage technology, I, I totally agree with the fact that it creates a tight coupling in many cases that that make microservices not make a ton of sense at that point, right? Like, I and I guess the what people would probably be saying here is instead of having a um, God, I'm trying to think of a decent example. Let's say instead of having a customer service microservice and then a, an inventory microservice and then a, um, accounting microservice or whatever, instead of having all those, you just have one service that has all those things baked in. And then that way, when you deploy, you're basically deploying the thing that has all those APIs, right? And that's, that's really what we're talking about. That's the difference between the two approaches is one sort of the, not totally monolith, but basically an API, right? You have an API you deploy versus 20 different APIs that you deploy. This is where like, I kind of have this, like this, this problem with like, um, you know, when you talked about like having a data store per, your, your microservice, right? You know, the immediate problem that people are going to start talking about is like, Oh, well now you have this problem of like, yeah, but then trying to like get data into your microstore from whatever the other thing is, is going to become the bottleneck. Like that's going to become the problem. Right. And you know, it's almost like you would, you would, one of the things that we, that we've like, okay, so there's the Uber engineering blog, right? Like the three of us, we've been big fans of it over the years. Right. And one of the things are that one of the takeaways that one of the many takeaways that I got from some of their articles were, was the, like the, their willingness to say like, okay, here's their data lake, but we're going to like spin off all these small little databases for like specific needs. And, you know, one team's needs aren't going to be the same as another team's needs. And it's fine that they want to like, I don't care that I have the same data in that database that can also be found in this one. That database over there is been indexed for a very different need. And so it's okay that it's duplicate data because it's indexed differently or, you know, the use, the usage patterns are different or whatever. Right. And so like, I, I liked that um, kind of takeaway about it, you know? And so it kind of like made me think that like, we really maybe should get into this mindset of like, instead of just all trying to query the same thing as, as like whatever that data source is, you know, an, um, be it a Postgres or Elastic or who cares, whatever, you know, SQL server, then it's almost like you could kind of think of a technology, like a streaming technology, like a Kafka, for example, as your, you know, CDC type 
operation, right? Like if, if, if it is the wall, right, if it is the right ahead log, you know, and so like as orders, you, you gave an example of orders earlier, right? So like as orders come through and there's a orders topic and, and, you know, everything's coming in, then, you know, whatever your need is for your microservice, you can have a consumer that reads from that orders topic does whatever it needs to do, but it doesn't change my need. And then as far as like keeping the services independent of one another from a versioning perspective, in the case specific to Kafka, you can have versioned, you know, schemas for like each message can have its own specific schema of how it was written. So therefore, you know, two old producers can write messages to that same topic in a different format. And then the given consumers that use whatever version of the schema that they are using can still read that stuff. Right. I I just, well, you know, what's funny is what you just described is actually the way true microservices are supposed to work. Basically you have a queue. All these microservices have consumers and producers to those queues. And that's how they all are supposed to talk to their own data storage. Right. Like that is, that is the, quintessential microservices in a nutshell type thing. That's my point. Like you, you, your consumer for your microservice subscribes to that orders topic in Kafka, writes it off to your Postgres database. Jay-Z's will read from that same Kafka topic, but write to Elasticsearch because he's doing something different. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, it just feels like, I don't know. I guess my love of Kafka knows no bounds. (laughs) Um, I I love it too. The, I will say the one thing on microservices that drives me a little bit insane is I, I would say that, you know, a lot of what I've done is pseudo microservices, meaning that it doesn't have its own data store. When you have a true microservice architecture, like what you just talked about, where you basically have a queue and then a bunch of separate services that have their own data storage, um, traversing all that, to find how things work and where things went wrong and all that is, is infuriatingly hard, right? Like it is very difficult to tie things together. And when something didn't work, what in the world happened, right? Like where was the disconnect? What, what was the problem? Because you have, you know, potentially if you have 20 microservices, you have 21 plus different stores to look at and it's, it it gets really hard. Well, this is the one thing where like, I I question like, you know, do you, this is one of the like age old questions that I've had for microservices. Like, do you, do you break it at like, um, you know, within your team, does your team have like 20 microservices or is your team the microservice? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, it it really comes down to your needs, right? And it's like you said earlier, there is no one answer for everything. It's you kind of have to look at the pieces that that matter to you and figure out what you need to do with them individually, right? It, it's it's not necessarily at an application level. It's what features of your application might need this type of thing, and then you look at it from there. And uh, microservice, we've talked about that website, microservice.io. They do uh, recommend each team have only one service, but you know, the, like I think the definition has kind of drifted since then. So I don't know. Yeah. Oh, Amazon promotes it too. That's funny. Service per team pattern. It's got a name. Mm. Well, well, then it shall be done. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to throw this one out here real quick since we were talking about like all things AI and, and like how only, um, AI related topics make the news now. So, uh, since we're talking about databases and data stores. So I saw that there is now Postgres ML. Have you guys already heard of this? I know. So, uh, it's a, there's a, a company behind it that's doing it, but yeah, you can now use Postgres. You can within the database train and deploy and, you know, you can create your models to train your models, do predictions all within your database. And it got me thinking, I was like, wow, that's super smart because like the hardest thing about, or, you know, or one of the hardest things about using any kind of machine learning is all the data uh, manipulation and like, just shipping of large data sets. And I'm like, Oh, well, if it's already in your database, then guess what? Like you, you can easily do any transformations you want on the data, uh, you know, get only specific bits of the data. And yeah, so I thought it was super cool. I don't really know much about it, but that's why I thought I I was curious if you guys had heard about it, but, um, yeah, so I'll include a link to that. That's pretty cool. It's not surprising. I want to say that SQL Server had some ML stuff that they were shoving into it as well. Like twenty sixteen, yeah. If or seven, I mean, if the data is already there, why wouldn't these? Why wouldn't these companies try and make it to where you can mine it? Well, that it's was pretty awesome. Th- that was also like uh, my second thought on it was like you know because in first I was like oh wow it's so cool because you know the data is already there. You know, but then I was like, oh, yeah, well, SQL Server, I believe it was either 2016 or 17, uh, introduced R. And then the following year, they introduced Python into it. And then um, Elasticsearch has had, uh, like, I think it was part of their XPack um, subscription where you could do machine learning um, algorithms on top of your data from, from Elasticsearch. So I was like, okay. This makes sense. This is just another evolution, but now it's in Postgres, you know, a widely, uh, you know, available and open source database. So, but this yeah. tool itself is not, you know, open source That's, or free. Well, maybe it is open source actually. It is open source. Yeah. Um, it says you can run it in Docker or you can pay for their, their thing to where it'll just run on their servers. So you don't have to mess with it. Um, I found the, uh, the page for SQL server. So yeah, they introduced R in 2016, and then 2017 and on up, they had Python and R. Woohoo! So, nailed it. Yeah, so right on the money. I'll, I'll put a link in the uh, in the uh, resources we like. All right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's get into it with Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Yeah. All right. Well, I kind of gave my uh, tip earlier, but just to kind of touch uh, touch up and expand on a little bit, I mentioned uh, Music LM, like music language model. It's a uh, tool from Google that lets you generate music with descriptive text. So you can say like uh, heavy metal guitars with, uh, you know, salsa, <laughs> cajon, drum beat, <laughs> you know, uh, with a trumpet playing melody. I don't know. Um, my wife uh, got access to it. We both requested access, but she got it and she won't let me play with it, but she keeps like <laughs> showing me stuff that she's been playing. And it's, it's definitely, um, you know, like when you generate images with like Dolly or something and like somehow like people have like five eyes and like three, you know, two, t- two thumbs or whatever. And it's just like a little bit weird and a little bit off. Like that's what it's been. But, uh, for a lot of music that just works right out the gate, you know, right. <laughs> like that's fine. 
but uh, I did think it's pretty cool. So if you wanted to kind of look for some inspiration or something, you can get uh, you can go sign up for that and uh, try to experiment. And they do have a bunch of uh, links. I think I actually mentioned this page before. Um, they have a bunch of uh, links, audio clips of things that they generated with it. It's just that they're finally rolling it out like three days ago or a couple days ago uh, for people to be able to, to actually get in there and generate it too. So hopefully they'll approve my invite soon and I'll give that a shot. Uh, and one last thing I wanted to hit on um, before I uh, turn it over is that the website that it's hosted on is called AITestKitchen.com. Or sorry, AITestKitchen.withgoogle.com. It is a Google product. And when I log in, I only see Music LM. That's the only thing that's in there for me. Maybe other people see stuff, you know. But I think, based on the name, <laughs> that we're going to be seeing a few other experiments rolling out there soon. So it's, you know, an exciting time. And this is a good site to check out and keep an eye on for new things coming out. Very cool. I wonder, like, I want to sign up. I guess if you just go to withgoogle.com, it just takes you straight to Google. So never mind. Yeah. Uh, all right. So here's my here's my um, tip of the week that um, I, sh- I already shared this with you guys, but uh, I'll share it with the others. But I, I didn't know about this feature before. But in Data Grip, if you have done, um, if you have like two queries that you've done against like different tables or different databases or whatever, and you want to like just see like, well, show me the data that's different between these two things. There's a little button above your results uh, in the top right that has two blue arrows that are going, uh, they're crossing each other. It looks like the catch me if you can kind of logo. If you remember that movie, that's the compare data button. And if you click that button, it's going to ask you, like, what's the other session that you want to compare to? And it will highlight the rows that have different data. Any data that is any rows that aren't highlighted are are the same, but it'll highlight the rows that are different. And I was trying to find a link that from JetBrains that more, you know, that that better described like all of the features and capabilities. And I couldn't find one like specifically to that. Cause it looks like this thing could do even more than what maybe I was thinking of where, uh, like you could compare tables and, you know, uh, so I guess technically that would just be like a select star from it. But at least in some of those things I was finding, I was like, well, I'm not sure if we're talking about the same things because in my example, it doesn't have to be like, you could do some like really cool kind of queries with it. Right. Um, and, and it'll do, it'll do those comparisons and it doesn't have to be like, uh, you know, in my case, for example, I was going, I was querying against Mongo, for example. So, like, by the way, if you didn't know, with Data Grip, you can query. It doesn't have to be your traditional SQL type database that you query the world. with. It. Yeah, Data Grip's actually quite powerful in that regard. But um, yeah, so compare data button uh, right above your your results can be super handy. That's awesome. I just learned about that because you showed it to us this week. It's pretty pretty incredible. Yeah, like in my use case, I was trying to migrate like one we had one way of doing things that was in like a scripted kind of way and i wanted to convert it to an api and but i wanted to verify that like hey am i doing the same thing that we used to be doing and because we found bugs in the old way during the during the migration so that's why like you know i was trying to compare these results and stumbled across that button that's excellent all right, so I've got a couple. Actually, I got a few um, that, that came up while we were doing this recording here. So the first one 
is a new feature that they just released in IntelliJ that I love. So if you've been using Visual Studio Code for any amount of time, if you want to zoom in, like if you're doing a screen share or if you're recording so that you can show people things later, uh, in Visual Studio Code, it's real easy. Like on a Mac, you do Command Plus to zoom in on the entire IDE, right? Your code content, your file directory, everything. Um, and if you wanted to zoom out, it'd be like command minus on a Mac. I forget what it is. It's probably control plus on, on windows at any rate. IntelliJ always had the ability to zoom in on your code window, by like holding down the command, uh, button on Mac and then scrolling with your, your wheel on your mouse, same thing on windows, you could do control and then scroll, but it was only on the code window. And it used to drive me crazy because people would be like, well, I can't see what's over there in your file, uh, listing or whatever. Um, so IntelliJ now has the ability to zoom in on the entire IDE. Woohoo. So I couldn't find on their site where they actually showed how to do it, but I did find in the release notes on IntelliJ 2023 one. Um, all you have to do is go to the view toolbar or view menu in the toolbar, go to appearance and then zoom IDE and it'll allow you to zoom the entire thing in or out. It's fantastic. Very uh, cool. The next one, I, this also came up this week because it was something that was driving me crazy. If you have a bunch of files open in Visual Studio Code, um, a lot of times, you know, you're bouncing around between the same areas in those different files. And if you somehow navigate away from that particular section of code, you got to go try and find it again. And if it's in a bag coded file, like it's got 2000 lines, it's a pain to find it again. Well, one of the features I've always loved about Visual Studio was their bookmarks. And you could quickly go through the bookmarks, right? Like you could bookmark a line and then, you know, using some key combinations in, in the IDE, you could just keep toggling back and forth between all of them going forward or backwards. Well, there is a plugin for Visual Studio Code that allows you to do the same thing. And I love this thing. Um, I've used it several times here recently. So I'll have a link in the show notes to that. And then the last thing, this came up because of Joe. Hey, you want to give us your um, your country store voice again? Well, hey there, everybody. All right. So <laughs> that reminded me, I just recently, so I mentioned that I have Apple One subscription now, which is Apple Music and, and all kinds of other stuff. Well, one of the things you get with that is Apple Arcade. Well, one of the games that was recommended to me recently was Warped Kart Racers, and mm-hmm. it's actually really funny and it's a lot of fun think of um sort of mario kart type stuff but you have the people from king of the hill and uh i don't even know all the shows there's one like um alien show i can't think of i'm sure that you guys probably know it but but like hank from king of the hill right i sell propane and like your voice did that and i was like oh man this game's so much fun if you have apple arcade go download it because he's talking the whole time <laughs> and it's it's hilarious um whoever you're racing with sort of has little one-off lines that they do so yeah if if you're looking for a time waster that's a good one. Oh, i was expecting like eight more sorry no, that was it. Yeah, yeah, I finished. <laughs> that was only three. Wow, you feeling I, I, okay? I don't know. I'm, I'm doing okay. It's early. Check his it's early. I think we have another pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it's early. All right. So uh, subscribe to us on Stitchify, Atunify, uh, Atuna Stitcher, Atuna. 
too fast. Too many carbs. Sit. Too many Her- carbs, man. Too many carbs. Um. Yep. Too many carbs. <laughs> uh, be sure to leave us some carbs at www.codingblocks.net slash review. Hey, and while you're up there um, with the carbs, check out our show notes, examples, discussions, and more, and send your feedback, questions, and rants to our Slack channel at codingblocks.net slash Slack. And hey, um, we have a uh, channel for generative AI. But also, <laughs> make sure to follow us on Twitter. Oh my gosh. Okay, sorry. Uh, who cares about the rest of the, that stuff? Um, design Pattern of Agiles. Uh, Jim posted an amazing AI-generated uh, <laughs> advertisement for a pizza place. We're going to have that in the show notes. Oh, and awesome. Just, just stop what you're doing and just go watch it. Now. I'm going to post it. Oh, that's amazing. Cool. 